Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Thank you for joining me once again as we consider the times in which we live and how to prepare for the coming of Christ. We're facing an unprecedented rise in immorality brought on by the constant promotion of vice and crime. Everywhere you turn these days, there are ex examples of depravity and lust. I know, partly because so many of our guests at our health retreats in Australia come from homes where they have been sexually abused, and they're desperate to understand true love and how to find happiness. My topic today involves prophetic reflections on the shocking recent revelations of immoral predators. It is a major sign of the nearness of the end of all things. But before we begin our study today, let me tell you that we have negotiated a new price for our DVD series called The Prophetic Secrets of the New World Order. It is now $55 instead of $70 USD. This series will help you prioritize the events that are taking place in the world and which impact your life. It will help you understand which ones are prophetically important and which ones are not. The 12 sermon series will engage your mind and heart with Bible confirmation, connecting the big trends in the world today to the prophetic chain of evidence that tells us that Jesus is coming soon. Now is your chance to get this DVD set at a very affordable price. Just contact us with your payment details and we will gladly send them to you. Thank you for your prayers and support for Keep the Faith Ministry. Your gifts mean so much to us and so do your prayers. We're busier than ever and we really need them. Keep the Faith has been a consistent voice of warning to people for 24 years now, helping them to prepare for the coming of the Lord. The gifts you and others send us has been a sustaining power in the hand of God to send the message everywhere. I'm amazed at how many people, for instance, listen to our monthly CDs but who are not on our subscription list. That's because people like you share your CDs with others or they find us online and listen there. Thank you for sharing our materials. Our mission is to reach souls with the message of the soon return of Jesus by emphasizing the prophecies. Thank you for your assistance in so many ways. We had our annual camp meeting in Victoria, Australia with Pastor Stephen Bohr and Joshua White in early January. The videos are now available. Call our office in the U.S. for more information at 540-672-3553 or call our Australian office at 03-5963-7000. These messages are excellent. Pastor Bohr spoke on a more sure word of prophecy, and Joshua White's presentation were on the topic of educating the last generation. Both presenters were very interesting, practical, and spiritually powerful. As we begin our time together today, let us bow our heads in prayer, if you can. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your love and patience with us and with this wicked world. 
We are certainly living in similar circumstances to the time of Noah. We see the wickedness and immorality all around us, and we need your presence to keep us pure and holy in the midst of it all. We pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to us today as we try to understand the times in which we live. There is abundant evidence that Jesus is coming soon, and I pray that we may use our time, talents, influence, and resources to win others to Jesus. Thank you for your promise to send your Holy Spirit as we study. Keep us holy by your grace and power. In Jesus' name, amen. Please open your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. That's 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 to 7. Let us read this powerful description of the times in which we live. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Did you notice that they lead with diverse lusts, and that many of them are laden with sins? Friends, this is a relentless description of the way society is today. Sex is glorified, love is distorted, and men take advantage of women, and women take advantage of their bodies to get what they want. Now notice verse 8. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. Long-standing Jewish tradition says that Janus and Jambres were two Egyptian magicians who duplicated some of the miracles that Moses did before Pharaoh. Then they went with Israel after the Passover and caused trouble down to the time of Balaam. They were involved in the licentious worship of the golden calf, and it is suggested that they may have helped to lead Israel into sexual sin in collaboration with Balaam. Paul uses these men as types of a widespread rejection of the truth and its moral principles in the last days. And don't we have this problem today? Harvey Weinstein, or Hurricane Harvey, as he's often called, blew into Hollywood and became one of its most powerful and influential producers. He has been blown out of Hollywood because of his sexual depravity. He's been exposed as a serial womanizer and a brazen pervert. The powerful film executive recently blew over to a $2,000 a night Arizona rehab center for treatment and could face criminal charges. This goes to show you that no one is omnipotent. Weinstein's power crumbled overnight, it seems, as Hollywood's protective wall came crashing down around him. Weinstein held the keys to the kingdom, so to speak. He was at the top of his game and he knew he had enormous power. He became arrogant and had been indulging in his gross escapades for decades. 
He targeted dozens of women, many of whom complied with his scandalous requests, then yielded to his threats to keep quiet, fearing harm to their careers. He had that much power. But the Bible is clear. If you persist in sin long enough, it will eventually destroy you, and it has destroyed Weinstein. And suddenly everyone is appalled, as if it was a big surprise. And the reactions of his friends and colleagues is just as surprising. Weinstein's behavior was no secret. People in Hollywood say that everyone knew. His employees collaborated in helping him get alone with many vulnerable women. His sins were condoned and nurtured within the putrid incubator that is America's entertainment industry. He thrived within a vast system of complicity, and for many, many years it protected him. As the saying goes about Las Vegas, what happens there stays there. So also it can be said of Hollywood. But that seems to have changed now, at least for the time being. Scripture condemns the adulterer. Here is just one verse of many found in the Bible. It's from Hebrews 13, verse 4. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Harvey Weinstein was a whoremonger and an adulterer, and his crimes have been blazoned upon the headlines of global news reports. His career has ended, and he is no longer respected as a leader in the entertainment industry. Here's another biblical condemnation of adultery. It's from Proverbs 6.32. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. In the Bible, the word whoremonger applies to a man who commits fornication or sex outside of marriage. It does not matter whether he pays for it, as we often try to distinguish it today. But Weinstein was not merely committing adultery. He was encouraging it and promoting it, not just in his movies and TV shows, but in his own life. He is what they call a predator who tried to take advantage of any pretty woman that came along his path, and he abused many. The Bible is also clear that those who associate with this kind of person are also condemned. Listen to 1 Corinthians 5.11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator. With such an one know not to eat. But the Bible gives a much longer list of the types of people we are to avoid. It's important to understand that a sexually immoral person is to be shunned, they will not be saved according to Scripture, unless they repent, of course. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Nobody can be genuinely shocked at Weinstein's decadence. Hollywood glamorizes sexual immorality and perversions of all kinds. Just because this powerful producer's movies have made billions and is acclaimed with dozens of prestigious awards does not justify the sexual crimes he committed for so long. It just emphasizes the immoral nature of the people he mixed with and the product he peddled. Thousands upon thousands of people work every day to script, rehearse, film, edit, polish, mass market, distribute, project, and broadcast 
these very vices on screen, of which Weinstein now stands guilty. How can society suddenly condemn his reprehensible actions while paying billions to see his films? Why do they not see the link between the films and the culture that creates and disseminates them? And a more prescient question is why do they not see the link between the spiritual diet fed into the minds of millions of us and the immorality in society at large? The immorality of Hollywood is a systemic problem that the industry supports, but its targets are the people who think they can watch all the immorality on the silver screen and expect that it will not affect them. The Bible teaches that we are changed by the things we behold. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And if we can be changed from our carnal nature into the same character of Christ, the opposite is also true. And the enemy knows that if he can get us immersed in the filth of Hollywood, he can separate us from Christ and we will lose our salvation. By beholding, we become changed. Jesus told us to judge Hollywood by its fruit. And the revelations about Harvey Weinstein are fruits by which his industry will be condemned by the ultimate universal judge from whom there is no appeal. Weinstein is not the only one. Weinstein, who is a fitting symbol of a corrupt industry, is one of many in the superficial tinsel town that exploit the culture of sex and abuse that represents even more depravity than Las Vegas. Hollywood is the real swamp that needs to be drained. The town of the silver screen is the real sin city to which Las Vegas only plays a second fiddle. And Hollywood wants to make the Western world a reflection of itself. Weinstein has reached at least eight settlements with women over the years, according to the New York Times. And according to the New Yorker, at least 84 women accused him of sexual misconduct, some of which are serious sex crimes, including rape. And at least six women allege in a lawsuit that Weinstein's companies, including their boards of directors, are complicit with Weinstein in covering up his sexual misconduct. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences has expelled him. The Producers Guild of America has moved to terminate his membership. His name is being removed from credits on films and TV projects, and the Weinstein Company, whose board he has resigned from, is nearly bankrupt as talent agencies cut off talent supply. Even prominent Democrats like Hillary Clinton, who received more than $2 million in personal and bundled donations from him, have found their voice in denouncing him. And for many of them, they are calling the kettle black. For their own sins and wickedness are as black as Weinstein's, some in other areas of life, of course. And several police departments from Los Angeles to New York to Scotland Yard have opened or reopened investigations against him. Jane Fonda said she was ashamed of herself for not speaking up sooner. But how long has the 79-year-old Fonda been in Hollywood? That would be for several decades. And how long has Weinstein been a sexual predator? For 25 years. That's a quarter of a century. It is very hard to imagine that Fonda only knew about Weinstein's sexual abuse for more than a year, as she claims. 
Weinstein is down, and they're piling on him because he's vulnerable. But the hypocrisy is enormous. What other sins are Fonda and others silent about? Weinstein is the tip of the iceberg. He merely reflects a wider Hollywood culture. But his brand of sexual misconduct is not the only wickedness to be found behind those big screens. Pedophilia, for instance, is widespread in Hollywood. I can tell you the number one problem in Hollywood, said Corey Feldman, one of Tinseltown's biggest child actors of the 1980s, was and is and always will be pedophilia. Feldman claims that he himself, along with another Corey, Corey Haim, was a victim of a Hollywood mogul pedophile. It's all under the radar. It's the big secret, he added. I was surrounded by them when I was 14 years old. Surrounded literally. I didn't even know it. It wasn't until I was old enough to realize what they were and what they wanted and what they were about. They were everywhere, like vultures. Alison Arngrim of The Little House on the Prairie said of the Hollywood pedophilia, This has been going on for a very long time. It was the gossip back in the 80s. People said, oh yeah, the Corys. Everyone's had them. People talked about it like it was not a big deal. Anne Henry, co-founder of child actor protection group Biz Parents Foundation, said 75% of the child actors who went off the rails suffered earlier abuse. Moreover, Hollywood is currently sheltering about 100 active abusers, she estimates. Former child actor Elijah Wood, who starred in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, alluded to how some abusers host orgastic parties where young boy actors are seduced. They threw lavish parties where young boys were encouraged to drink and take drugs before mandatory skinny-dipping sessions in the swimming pool and hot tub. And Hollywood glorifies these pedophiles. Hollywood is littered with men and women who are sexual predators and provocateurs, ready and willing to take advantage of most anyone and any situation in order to satisfy their lust and greed. Thus, when these nasty Hollywood harlots, gigolos, pimps, perverts, and like-minded stooges start howling about the sexual misconduct of President Trump or any other politician or pundit of whom they disapprove, which is usually Christians or conservatives, we know it's not really the sexual immorality that troubles them. Hollywood has a larger agenda, the further disintegration of families and morality. They target men in general as if all men are suspected of sexual abuse, just because they're men. And perhaps they have surrounded themselves with so many of them that they have forgotten that real men, men who respect women and children, men whose moral fiber is built on a biblical foundation, actually exist. But they don't want the Bible to guide their minds. They're only interested in money and what they can get for themselves. For some, it's the almighty dollar. For others, it is power. For still others, it is sex and other depraved and lustful goals. Harvey Weinstein was thrown under the bus because he became a liability. He made the mistake of getting caught, and if they were to take the arrest records of every filmmaker or actor, they'd have to shut this town down, said Victor Salva, a former child movie star. Let's face it, anybody can work here who makes money. But shutting down Hollywood might not be such a bad idea, come to think of it. And the values of Hollywood have become the values of most of Western society. 
partly by Hollywood design. Hollywood is a powerful social change agent. Only some people listen to the news and commentary, but entertainment reaches almost everyone. If a picture is worth a thousand words, as the saying goes, then how many words are moving pictures worth? Film, which combines sight and sound in an emotion-engaging package, is amazingly powerful. It has powerfully changed the values of modern society and depraved humanity beyond measure. And it is truth that is sacrificed on the altar of lust. Bill Maher, the liberal and libertine comedian-cum-commentator, apparently once said in an old show, Politically Incorrect, the concept of absolute truth is scary. Yet it is absolute truth that is needed most by a society that doesn't want to be accountable to anyone but themselves. They want to determine what is right and wrong. But if they use themselves as the foundation of truth, they will inevitably end up in the moral swamp. When Pilate asked Jesus what is truth, John 18, 38 he was reflecting the moral underpinnings of the society that he lived in. To him, there were no absolutes. He was living in a world of lies and political maneuverings and other corruptions and wickedness. But Pilate spoke those words to the one who is the truth, the one absolute truth. Without Christ, there is no way that anyone can understand truth. There is no way that anyone can be moral and have happiness. And Hollywood is the epitome of lies, the antithesis of truth. The enemy could not have come up with a more powerful influence on society. He could not have created a more influential instrument to get people to willingly give up their stability, their happiness, and their peace in exchange for depression, despair, and depravity. Sin is psychological poison. And as with all poison, it affects a person whether he realizes it or not. People feel bad about themselves when they sin. They suffer guilt and want some relief, some kind of forgiveness. Everyone wants to feel good about themselves, but to practice virtue, such as chastity, temperance, charity, diligence, patience, kindness, humility, prudence, etc., well, that's too hard. You have to have dedication to do it. It requires discipline, hard work, and perseverance, and most of all, sacrifice. You can't keep going to the parties if you want virtue. You can't keep going back to the immoral swamp if you want to comprehend the teachings of Christ. In fact, if you really want happiness in this life, you have to establish a pattern of virtue in your life in all areas. And this is what the Bible intends to do for you. The Bible will gradually change you and make you like its author, if you seriously take the Bible and study it to mine its principles and truths, you'll find eventually that it will have stripped away your worldliness, your love of worldly music, your love of self-indulgence, the wicked desire of your eyes. It will have removed the inconsistencies in your life, and it will have subdued the sensual, cheap thinking of your mind. Your countenance will shine amid the moral darkness that surrounds you and replaces your love with the world and worldly things, with a hunger for more of God. True virtue will arise in your heart. It will not be something that you can create or make in your soul. It is a quality that comes from personal communion with someone who is better than you are, someone whose influence can be felt but not seen. 
someone whose counsel sees far into the future and plans for all emergencies. It will give you that which you cannot give yourself, a sense of deep happiness that is healing to the body and refreshing to the soul. And you'll have it day in and day out. I've seen people change. I've seen it in my own life. And I know that what I speak is true. Friends, I don't know about you, but if I want to overcome the enemy of my soul and live eternally, I have to have what the Bible alone can give me. The Holy Scriptures can give me a certainty, a sense of purpose, and a moral compass to keep me from lust, greed, avarice, cruelty, and any other sin that would connect me to the enemy of my soul. But virtue doesn't bring praise in a world of wickedness. Virtue doesn't offer worldly success. Virtue doesn't bring worldly power. We look for a better land than this world could ever offer. Like Abraham, we look for a city whose builder and maker is God, Hebrews 11.10. Christ said, My kingdom is not of this world, John 18.36. So anything that is of the world is not part of Christ's kingdom. It is either a convenience, an expediency, or an evil. We have to live in the world, and it is a world of sin. We have to buy things and sell things. There are governments that we have to respond to. But we are Christ's. And we are not of this world, though we live in the world. The Apostle John said in 1 John 2, verse 15 to 17, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Just think about these words for a few minutes. The lust of the flesh is the driving factor in Hollywood and the film industry in general. And it's one of the key motivators that drives the men and women that run those purveyors of sin. They love the world. They live for the flesh. How can a child of God support that system of wickedness by either paying for and or watching it? The Bible exposes their deeds as evil. Harvey Weinstein and his cohorts will be judged by the ruler of the universe one day, but Harvey and many of his fellows are being judged already by people around the world. Their sins have been exposed by the media and proclaimed from the housetops. Listen to this interesting Bible verse that describes what has just happened to so many of these Hollywood moguls. It's from Luke 12, verse 2 and 3. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed from the housetops. These wicked men have done many of these deeds in secret. They have hidden them and covered them up. Some have tried to silence their victims by intimidation. Others have downplayed the sin as if it was just normal behavior. Yes, in some cases, others have known about it. It is an open secret, they say. But the media is mostly silent about it, and it went on for years and years and years. Suddenly, unexpectedly, and shockingly, one allegation led to many, many more, and it migrated from one monster to another and another until it seems that everybody in Hollywood is tainted, some more than others, of course. But it has even tainted those that are not involved in any scandals, just merely by association. 
but it also went beyond the film industry to politics and even snared business tycoons and government leaders. And it gets headline news. If you ever have a shameful moment, it would be when you wake up one morning and the newspapers are blazing with the sordid details of your life for everyone to read. But will these people heed the Bible from now on? Not likely. The film industry that spews cultural poison all over the planet will continue on. They will replace the ones who have fallen, but they will continue to produce the cultural poison and vice that is so endemic to the silver screen. In any case, they will not heed the Bible. They will not yield their lives to God's principles. They have set their course to oppose God, and this brings every filthy, corrupted thing into play. So why do secular people hate the Bible standard? People can't help being what they are. What is in the heart of a Hollywood screenwriter, director, or actor will be portrayed in their productions. They think like this. If those church people get their way, I won't be able to indulge in whatever lust or sin is theirs. They don't want their fun spoiled. They don't want to be judged. So they set out to destroy the very standard by which they will be judged. And consequently, we have the most sordid films and evil motives and intentions portrayed on the silver screen. People become habituated to that in which they habitually indulge. And over time, it doesn't seem so abnormal to them anymore. They justify it, condone it, think about it, and try to mask over it. They present themselves as respectable members of society while conducting the worst vices and perversions behind the scenes outside of the light of day. And the mainstream media is complicit with it all. While Harvey Weinstein was being thrown under the bus, Hugh Hefner, the founder of Playboy magazine, died at 91 years of age. He was eulogized by the mainstream media as a hero and a cultural revolutionary who valiantly conquered sexual repression. Hugh Hefner was one of the pioneers of the immorality in modern America today. He wasn't the only one by any means, but he had a long life and did a lot of damage to the moral barriers of society. The media loves this lifestyle. They promote it and focus on it. They aid and abet it by their constant glorification of the actors and stars and other people that they think are important. They sneer at the Bible standard as so Victorian and out of date as Hollywood continues to push the boundaries of ever more perverse, cruel, and violent representations, it pushes society farther and farther away from the principles that would keep it together. Especially is the family undermined in film. And as they present these lifestyles as valid, moral, and neutral in their influence, more and more people adopt the idea that they aren't so bad after all. Soon, that which once repulsed them, they accept as normal and even promote and advocate. In the wake of revelations about Harvey Weinstein, many more Hollywood moguls and movie stars have been exposed as sexual perverts and aggressors as well. Many have denounced him only to have subsequently been exposed for similar sins of their own. Many women have emerged in what seems like a sexual counter-revolution, making accusations ranging from harassment to rape, 
starting with high-profile leaders and actors in Hollywood, then expanding to powerful and prominent TV and radio personalities, magazine executives, politicians, government leaders, political candidates, investment fund managers, renowned chefs, sports figures, musicians, medical professionals, and fashion moguls. The list is long, and its tentacles are everywhere. The moral resistance to fulfilling the lusts of the flesh hardly flickers anymore. Now so many already accept many of the perversions that have been pushed on us by Hollywood and other venues, such as same-sex marriage, transgender and gender-fluid individuals, and other varied deviations from God's order, that whole nations have adopted policies, both domestic and foreign, that supposedly equalize them and try to prevent discrimination by Christians. And while Christians must love these people, they cannot condone their behavior. These entertainers and people in the entertainment industry, whether in film or in music, have massive influence on society. We often subsidize and idolize many of these people. It is this power over other minds that make them think that they're invincible and that they can take advantage of others without repercussions. But now the repercussions are coming at breakneck speed. It reminds me of the Bible text that says, Be sure your sins will find you out, Numbers 32, 23. But these people shape society's attitudes and change its standards. These are the very ones responsible to a considerable extent for the moral depravity that currently exists in the Western world. It goes way beyond America and involves many nations around the world, especially those that were once part of the British Empire, which God raised up and used to oppose Roman Catholicism and establish a Protestant empire on a global scale that would prepare the way for the final message of the three angels of Revelation 14 to be given to the world. Revelation 18, verse 11 through 19 says, These people are some of the merchants of the earth. They are purveyors of perversion and immorality and try to sell their products and wares to the people of the world. They keep them fascinated by sin, violence, corruption, and vice. And it is all in collaboration with the Catholic Church, or Babylon. As you know, the sex scandals of the Catholic Church have been notorious in many, many countries. The dark record of Rome's sheer hypocrisy and its immorality are open for all to see. During the reign of Pope Benedict XVI, there was a continual flow of evidence about the wickedness of Rome. But Rome's pedophilia and other scandals have only encouraged and potentiated the same depravities in the political world, the financial industry, and especially in the entertainment industry. Pretending like Weinstein's perversion is some sort of one-off anomaly in Hollywood is as phony as a movie set. In fact, the hypocrisy of the Hollywood culture is intrinsically, systemically, and grossly hypocritical. It masquerades as feminist and pro-women while it treats women as sex objects, in private parties and in public at the cinema. It rails against guns in the political arena, but romanticizes gun violence on the silver screen. Its moral standards are fake, too. This shouldn't shock us. This industry's business is play-acting, after all, and pretending, all of which is living a lie. Many people self-righteously condemn Weinstein. When the Motion Picture Academy booted him, it said, The era of willful ignorance and shameful complicity in sexually predatory behavior and workplace harassment in our industry is over. 
Well, I doubt it. Hollywood isn't about to clean up its act on any front. I would not expect the movie industry to start producing movies like The Sound of Music again as its normal fare. People still have an appetite for violence and sex. Romans 1 verses 24 to 27 condemns those who reject God and take on a reprobate mind, becoming filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, maliciousness, deceit, and malignity. Listen to these words from Holy Scripture. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. While this was obviously referring to the homosexual lifestyle, it begs the question, what came before it? The rise of sexual immorality and the normalization of fornication and adultery has not been changed by the revelations of the movie industry. They still teach and accept that it is normal. The thing they do not condone is the abuse of power to victimize women and intimidate them into compliance. Let me read on from Romans 1.28 and onward. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, etc. My friends, these immoralities lead to other things, which the Bible lists, including covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity. That's the rest of verse 29. And why do they hide these things? It's because they know that they're wrong. Deep down they know that they have offended and they want to escape punishment. Now notice verse 32. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Notice that God doesn't just condemn those who commit such things. He also condemns those who have pleasure in them that do them. That's a whole lot of people from the top to the bottom of the social food chain today. So all those people that enjoy watching the movies that Hollywood produces and listening to central music, for instance, are condemned by the God of heaven as well. How can we expect blessings from the Lord when we are continually turning our backs on Him? Listen to the words of Jeremiah 5, 7-9. How shall I pardon thee for this? Thy children have forsaken me and sworn by them that are no gods. When I had fed them to the full, they then committed adultery and assembled themselves by troops in the harlots' houses. They were as fed horses in the morning. Everyone neighed after his neighbor's wife. Shall I not visit for these things, saith the Lord? And shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? No wonder God is withdrawing his blessings from America. It leads the world in all this decadence. While hurricanes, fires, and other disasters hit the United States in recent times, many people do not see the connection to the rebellion of its leaders and social players. Here's a statement from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 8, page 252. As I hear of the terrible calamities that from week to week are taking place, I ask myself, what do these things mean? 
The most awful disasters are following one another in quick succession. How frequently we hear of earthquakes and tornadoes of destruction by fire and flood with great loss of life and property. Apparently, these calamities are capricious outbreaks of seemingly disorganized, unregulated forces. But in them, God's purpose may be read. They are one of the means by which He seeks to arouse men and women to a sense of their danger. The coming of Christ is nearer than when we first believed. The great controversy is nearing its end. The judgments of God are in the land. They speak in solemn warning, saying, Be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Matthew 24, verse 44. Listen also to this very interesting statement from the Signs of the Times, September 29, 1881. Intemperance in eating and drinking leads to the indulgence of the animal passions. And those who, understanding the effect of their course, indulge appetite and passion at the expense of health and usefulness, are preparing the way to disregard all moral obligations. So what is it that prepares men to throw away all moral obligations? It's the indulgence of appetite and passion. So when the social order is filled with vice, immorality, and impurity, we can know they are preparing to push for more and more license and normalize it, making wickedness first okay, then making it good. Their foolish hearts are darkened. Romans one i I'll continue reading from the passage in Testimonies for the Church. Speaking of those who indulge appetite and passion, the author says, when temptation assails them, they have little power of resistance. This was the cause of Israel's continual backsliding, and it is the reason why there is so much crime and so little true godliness in the world today. The only path of safety is the path of daily restraint and self-denial. So what is the path of safety? Daily restraint and self-denial. Not occasional restraint and self-denial. Every day we must fight with the enemy and bring ourselves under restraint and self-denial. Nothing but the power of God combined with human effort can accomplish the work of ennobling and uplifting our race. Had men been willing to learn the lessons which God had given them, successive generations would not have deteriorated so greatly in physical, mental, and moral power. Christ, enshrouded in the cloudy pillar, had spoken again and again to Israel for their good, but they had not heeded his advice. Again, he appeared to Manoah and his wife with definite instructions concerning the course she should pursue in order to ensure physical and moral health to her offspring. God had a work for the promised child of Manoah to do, a work which would require careful thought and vigorous action. It was to secure for him the qualities necessary for this work, that all his habits were to be carefully regulated. Now listen to this next part of the statement. It describes very clearly what's going on today. There are today many statesmen, senators, lawyers, judges, and others in responsible positions whose physical habits have been, nearly all their lifetime, at war with natural laws. At the outset of their career, these men may have possessed rare intellectual powers, but the precious gifts of God have been soiled and dimmed, and in too many cases buried in the mire of self-indulgence. Yet there are some who see a connection. 
The ministers of the churches that comprise the daughters of Babylon often see a connection between the calamities and disasters that happen, sometimes in rapid succession, because they advocate the fake worship of God on Sunday. And then Satan instigates these professed Christians to accuse the followers of God's law as the reason for the calamities. Great Controversy, page 590, says, And then the great deceiver will persuade men that those who serve God are causing these evils. The class that have provoked the displeasure of heaven will charge all their troubles upon those whose obedience to God's commandments is a perpetual reproof to the transgressors. It will be declared that men are offending God by the violation of the Sunday Sabbath. Well, who would be making that accusation? Wouldn't that be religious leaders? After all, their purpose is to deceive the people into disobeying God's law. But more than that, these moguls and tycoons and others will join them and point the finger at the faithful followers of Jesus in an effort to distract attention from their own vices and wickedness. The lies of God's people are a reproof to them. Think about it. As the darkness, wickedness, and corruption expand upon the earth, God's restraining spirit is gradually being withdrawn. At the same time, it is being concentrated and placed upon the true followers of Jesus. It's being placed on those who have not indulged in those crimes, but whose lives reflect the purity, the love, and the power of Jesus Christ. While the earth is getting darker and becoming gross darkness, the people of God are shining brighter until good and evil stand in stark contrast to anyone with eyes to see this spiritual dimension. I'll continue reading. They argue that this sin, the sin of violation of the Sunday Sabbath, has brought calamities which will not cease until Sunday observance shall be strictly enforced, and that those who present the claims of the fourth commandment, thus destroying reverence for Sunday, are troublers of the people, preventing their restoration to divine favor and temporal prosperity. In other words, the very ones who are the cause of the rejection of God's law and the consequential calamities that come upon the earth now become the accusers of the very ones who do keep God's law and have actually protected the wicked by their presence and influence. I'll read on. Thus the accusation urged of old against the servant of God will be repeated and upon grounds equally well established. And it came to pass, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. 1 Kings 18, 17 and 18. As the wrath of the people shall be exercised by false charges, they will pursue a course toward God's ambassadors very similar to that which apostate Israel pursued toward Elijah. Satan's policy in this final conflict with God's people is the same that he employed in the beginning of the great controversy in heaven. He professed to be seeking to promote the stability of the divine government while secretly bending every effort to secure its overthrow. Do you think he's still doing this today? Does Hollywood help him? Certainly. The very work which he was thus endeavoring to accomplish Satan charged upon the loyal angels. The same policy of deception has marked the history of the Roman Church. 
It has professed to act as the vicegerent of heaven while seeking to exalt itself above God and change his law. Under the rule of Rome, those who suffered death for their fidelity to the gospel were denounced as evildoers. They were declared to be in league with Satan, and every possible means was employed to cover them with reproach, to cause them to appear in the eyes of the people and even to themselves as the vilest of criminals. So it will be now. While Satan seeks to destroy those who honor God's law, he will cause them to be accused as lawbreakers, as men who are dishonoring God and bringing judgments upon the world. So all the immorality will lead the religious leaders to claim that America, and for that matter other nations, need to get back to God in order to solve the cause of the disasters, so that God's support for the nation will be restored and that the calamities and disasters will stop. This in turn will lead to the argument that the whole nation must attend church on Sunday to prevent moral collapse so that God's displeasure can be turned away. Oh, my friends, we're living once again under similar circumstances that characterize the days of Noah and Lot. In Noah's day, God saw the wickedness of men was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Genesis 6 verse 5. Then we read in verse 11 and 12 that the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. In Lot's day, there was a culture of aggressive sexual perversion that God could not allow to continue. In Genesis 19, we read that the men of Sodom demanded that Lot bring out his two guests, that they could have immoral relations with them. And when Lot accused them kindly of wickedness, they reacted in anger and threatened to kill him. Only the angels themselves saved Lot from their hands. How long do you think God will allow this kind of behavior to continue? I would say that we are getting very close to the end, and I think it is also significant that the Catholic Church was exposed a few years ago for its child sex scandal and other scandals, and now Hollywood, government, and business are exposed for much the same thing. Shouldn't we get the message? And pedophilia is part of the mix as well. The Bible says the merchants of the earth live deliciously with her. The kings of the earth commit fornication. The scripture says, with the great whore. This is a spiritual symbol of mixing church and state. But the metaphor is prescient. God uses that term because it is a fitting symbol of the whole system of global sin and carnal vice which is coddled in the environment of church and state collaboration. So why should it surprise us that in both industry and in that church there are corruptions that penetrate to the physical realm? Friends, as we consider the times we're living in, shouldn't we pay attention to the counsel of the Lord to purify our hearts so that we may be shining lights in a world benighted by evil? Friends, may God's peace be with you as you seek God's gift of purity with all your heart. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus who has offered us the purity of heaven in our hearts even amid the carnal and wicked world in which we live. Thank you for providing the power and strength to overcome the enemy. May we learn how to partake of your character so that we may have the purity of Jesus in our lives 
right through until he comes in the clouds of glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
We hope you've been greatly blessed by this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you so much for your support. And if you've been impressed by this message and it has stirred and blessed your soul, please consider making a gift to help some other poor souls find their way to heaven through the CDs from Keep the Faith. The song you've just heard is called Day by Day, played by Henry Higgins. The song is recorded on a CD with other lovely hymns and songs called Day by Day. This lovely CD is available from Keep the Faith Ministry, and if you would like to have a copy of this CD or copies for your friends or family, just send $16 each postpaid to U.S. addresses to cover the cost, and we will gladly send them. Please mention the Day by Day CD. Our international listeners should send $20. The following is our Prophetic Intelligence Briefing, a feature that brings you current events in light of Bible prophecy, especially for those who love the appearing of Jesus Christ. We can see the signs of the times telling us that we are nearing the world's great crisis. May the Lord find us faithful. Our first item this month, the U.S. House Tax Bill could essentially unite church and state. If the U.S. House of Representatives tax bill becomes law, partisan politics would overtake the nonprofit world, casting institutions designed to promote the public good into the depraved den of identity politics and selfish motives. This would become a seismic moment because charities would use tax-deductible contributions to favor or oppose political candidates at the behest of wealthy donors with devastating results for charities and the nation. Since 1954, charities have been barred from getting involved in political campaigns by a rule known as the Johnson Amendment. Donald Trump vowed to destroy this rule at the behest of some evangelical churches that want to endorse candidates from the pulpit. But cogent opposition from nonprofit advocacy groups had a powerful effect. House Republicans now propose to relax, not repeal, the Johnson Amendment. The bill passed by the House of Representatives would let charities make political campaign statements, but only in the ordinary course of their regular activities, and only if the cost of the speech is not more than a small incremental expense. According to the sponsors of this compromise, these limits ensure that the organization's primary functions remain charitable or religious in nature, and that there would be no risk for that charities would become political action committees or PACs, or that taxpayers would subsidize political campaigns through charitable contributions. Unfortunately, these hopes are misguided. It's true that endorsements, political statements on websites and media presentations or fundraising letters are cheap, they would not violate the ordinary course provisions of the bill, but even though endorsements are of low or no cost to the organization, the value of the endorsement to the candidate or donors could be extremely high. Donors would undoubtedly be willing to pay thousands of dollars for routine endorsements from important charities. There would be no way to know whether a donor was paying for a charity or for politics, and in truth, for many groups, there would cease to be a difference. The Johnson Amendment protects charities from political pressure applied by donors and from partisan capture. Without it, charities and churches, which are always in the fundraising business, could be bought for political purposes. The result would be tax deductions of phony charitable contributions made for political reasons, 
something the sponsors of this measure say they want to avoid. Further, it is common to assume that charities have a noble intent, but charities in the U.S. are easy to create and can serve a particular and ugly agenda under the guise of being educational. For instance, a charity that promotes white supremacy could educate and make political statements as part of its normal course of business. The same is true for less fringy groups such as social welfare charities or megachurches who could then make political statements at no extra incremental cost. In short, once nonprofits are permitted to take partisan stances, there is no realistic limit. And an underfunded IRS would not seriously attempt to enforce the bill's weak limits on political speech. Another curious provision in the House bill limits the charitable deduction to the wealthiest 5% of taxpayers. If this provision were combined with relaxing the Johnson Amendment, only the very richest would benefit by the tax deduction. It would further skew political discourse to those at the top of the income spectrum and drown out the voices of everyone else. The Johnson Amendment has served the nonprofit world and American society well. It should be left in place. Relaxing it would be prophetically dangerous because it would openly assist in uniting church and state. The dignitaries of church and state will unite to bribe, persuade, or compel all classes to honor the Sunday. The lack of divine authority will be supplied by oppressive enactments. Political corruption is destroying love of justice and regard for truth. And even in free America, rulers and legislators, in order to secure public favor, will yield to the popular demand for a law enforcing Sunday observance. Liberty of conscience, which has cost so great a sacrifice, will no longer be respected. That's Great Controversy, page 592. Next, Cashless Australia is coming. Shopping centers, eateries, and other retail outlets are getting rid of their ATMs in a move toward a cashless Australia. Retailers who were cash only will have to change their format. Retailers stand to gain a lot of information about their customers if payment forms are completely digital. They can track big data and identify consumers' needs and wants in real time. The recent decision by the banks to eradicate ATM fees appears to be a public relations stunt as the use of ATMs gradually declines, most notably in retail precincts. Collier's International Research has found that ATM withdrawals have been steadily on the decline for nearly a decade, falling by 28% in both the number of ATM withdrawals and the total amount withdrawn from January 2009 to July of 2017. In a ComBank retail therapy study, 75% of respondents said that they use credit and debit cards as their primary method of payment when shopping and dining in stores, and 50% said they will avoid a business if they have to queue for payment. The value of ATMs has been declining, and consequently their rental fees have only increased incrementally. Many banks and other independent ATM providers are choosing not to renew their leases within shopping centers and other retail precincts, or using the move towards becoming cashless as a bargaining chip when renewing, said Cameron Wakeham the manager of retail leasing at Collier's International. Mr. Wakeham said for retailers, it means that over the next few years, they will all need to start taking their money digitally. FPOS has always been an alternative option to cash. This service is on offer almost everywhere you go. 
But as we become more cashless, retailers will need to upgrade their technology to accept alternative payments, including PayWave, Apple Pay, and even Bitcoins. Cash only just won't cut it anymore, Mr. Wakeham said. There will be sacrifices to be made and costs incurred with going cashless. Retailers must also be prepared to be totally transparent with their earnings, something that can be avoided when accepting cash. But the positives, particularly for food retailers, is the hygiene aspect, as there will be no more handling of dirty money. There is also less room for human error, and from a security standpoint, it presents a safer option than holding large amounts of cash on the premises. Matt Hudson, National Director and Head of Retail Leasing at Cushman and Wakefield, said being cashless has opened the option for the additional omni-channel customer platforms for brands to utilize, ensuring robust resilience to online marketplaces. New market entrants with merchant facilities like Google Square will increase their presence, and the new cashless way of life will allow the building of loyalty programs through third-party awards. A cashless society will make it very easy for governments to freeze assets of anyone outside the law. The coming no-buy, no-sell laws that will be applied to those who refuse to worship according to the new laws of religion in the new world order will certainly make God's true people suffer isolation from their usual way of living their lives. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Revelation 13, 16, and 17. Next, Pope Francis visits Bangladesh. Pope Francis visited Myanmar and Bangladesh November 27 through December 2. Both countries have a Catholic population of only about 1%, more or less of the total population, with Myanmar 90% Buddhist and Bangladesh 90% Muslim. Following an official farewell, the Pope flew back to Rome from Dhaka on Saturday afternoon. The Pope was attempting to confirm the faith of Catholic communities in these two countries, but he also hoped to strengthen political influence and contacts within the, these two non-Catholic nations. As usual, Pope Francis emphasized harmony and peace and encouraged ecumenical and interfaith cooperation. As is always the case, the Pope conducted several masses. In Bangladesh, he also conducted an ordination of 17 priests. While in Myanmar, the Pope met popular leader Aung San Suu Kyi, as well as the president and the top military general. Meeting Myanmar's state authorities, leaders of civil society, and the diplomatic corps in Ne Pai Tao, he encouraged the nation on the arduous process of peace building and national reconciliation, saying it can be achieved on only a thorough commitment to justice and respect for human rights, a process in which religious leaders have a crucial role to play. In Yangon, the Pope met Buddhist leaders and local bishops as well as ordinary Catholics. In an unscheduled encounter with leaders of Myanmar's various religious communities, Pope Francis urged them to work together to rebuild the country through unity amidst the nation's diversity and not through uniformity. In meeting the powerful Supreme Council of Buddhist monks, Pope Francis urged them on the path of compassion and love toward all to heal the wounds caused by conflicts, poverty, and oppression. 
On November 30, Pope Francis went to Bangladesh and met the nation's authorities, the diplomatic corps and civil society, and expressed appreciation for Bangladesh's generosity and solidarity for the Rohingya Muslims fleeing Myanmar. He called on the international community to find a solution to the Rohingya crisis and help Bangladesh to meet the emergency. He also stressed that the name of God be never invoked to justify hatred and violence on others. On Friday night, December 1, Pope Francis met with 16 Rohingya Muslim refugees from Myanmar who fled to Bangladesh and listened to their stories of persecution. The presence of God today is also called Rohingya, the Pope said, asking for forgiveness for the, all the hurt and indifference they have endured, and demanded their rights be recognized. He also visited a home for orphans, unwed mothers, and destitute elderly. And lastly, he conducted Mass for young people before returning to Rome. Papal visits always include the mixing of church and state. Pope Francis continues to promote papal involvement in state politics under the cover of religious purposes, which is described by the Apostle John in Revelation 17 as the woman or church riding on a beast, the state. And I saw a woman sit on a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Next, the U.S. president declares Jerusalem Israel's capital. The world is up in arms over the U.S. president's formal recognition of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. The White House is breaking with years of precedence, and people are bracing for violence. U.S. embassies around the world have been told by the State Department to bolster their security. And the U.S. government employees have been told to avoid Jerusalem's old city and the West Bank until further notice. To plan and build a new embassy is no small task, especially in that particular city. In 1995, the U.S. Congress enacted legislation that requires the United States to move its embassy to Jerusalem. Though every U.S. president since has signed six-month waivers to the legislation to avoid derailing any progress toward an Israeli-Palestinian settlement. For a long time, the United States' position held that ambiguity or lack of acknowledgement would somehow advance the prospects of peace. A senior administration official said, It seems clear now that the physical location of the embassy is not material to a peace deal. So having tried this for 22 years, an acknowledgement of reality seems like an important change. Mr. Trump's decision is one of several breaks from his predecessors coming after his decision to pull out of the Paris Climate Agreement, to abandon multilateral trade negotiations with Europe and Asia, and his threat to cancel the U.S.-Iranian nuclear deal. Jerusalem is the place where the three Abrahamic faiths meet. No city stirs passions like Jerusalem. But what is its significance to Bible prophecy? Keep in mind that evangelicals whose aspirations and ideals, at least in terms of prophecy, involve a role for literal Israel, are advising Mr. Trump. Never before has a U.S. president worked so closely with evangelical leaders. To fulfill their prophetic predictions, Jerusalem would be restored as Israel's undisputed domain. Involving the United States in bringing stature to Israel's claim over the city would lend a hand toward the fulfillment of those prophetic dreams. Keeping the uncertainty and conflict between Israel, the Palestinians, and the Arabs going would not fulfill evangelical false prophecy. Another factor is the papacy, which has had an interest in controlling Jerusalem too. 
But Pope Francis said he was profoundly concerned about recent developments and called for the status quo of Jerusalem to be respected. That would be expected, of course. However, in the conflict that may arise from this decision, the Pope may well find a way to extend greater influence over the city and its destiny. Remember, the Catholic bishops influence evangelicals to a considerable extent. The White House insisted that Mr. Trump's announcement would not derail efforts at peace, currently being spearheaded by Mr. Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner. Nothing in this decision speaks to a final status solution or boundaries or sovereignty issues, a senior administration official said. It doesn't change the status quo with respect to the holy sites and the other very sensitive issues. We are leaving space for the Palestinians for this peace process to move forward. At the very least, the move could lead to violence on soft U.S. targets around the world. More dangerously, it could lead to another war in the Middle East. Evangelicals misinterpret the prophecies as applying to literal Israel when they now apply to spiritual Israel. Consequently, their interpretations of Bible prophecy are skewed to support this underlying error. The enemy can use them and the United States to fulfill erroneous prophetic interpretations and set the stage for Satan to appear as Christ in his final deception, and perhaps including Jerusalem in his global tour. Paul strenuously denies that Jerusalem and Israel have a role to play in prophecy. Hebrews 13, 12-14 says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. A correct understanding of the Bible makes it clear that we cannot view Israel as having a salvational role, nor should we look to Jerusalem in the fulfillment of end-time Bible prophecy. As the crowning act in the great drama of deception, Satan himself will personate Christ. Now the great deceiver will make it appear that Christ has come. In different parts of the earth, Satan will manifest himself among men as a majestic being of dazzling brightness, resembling the description of the Son of God given by John in the Revelation. The glory that surrounds him is unsurpassed by anything that mortal eyes have yet beheld. The shout of triumph rings out upon the air. Christ has come! Christ has come! The people prostrate themselves in adoration before him, while he lifts up his hands and pronounces a blessing upon them, as Christ blessed his disciples when he was upon the earth. His voice is soft and subdued, yet full of melody. In gentle, compassionate tones, he presents some of the same gracious heavenly truths which the Savior uttered. He heals the diseases of the people, and then, in his assumed character of Christ, he claims to have changed the Sabbath to Sunday, and commands all to hallow the day, which he has blessed. He declares that those who persist in keeping holy the seventh day are blaspheming his name by refusing to listen to his angels sent to them with light and truth. This is the strong, almost overmastering delusion. That's The Great Controversy, page 625. Unfortunately, our time is up. Remember, there are more prophetic intelligence briefings on our website at ktfnews.com. It's been a great pleasure to spend this time with you. I hope you have been encouraged to live for Jesus, for we are near the end. Remember that God has a plan for your life and that right now, you can make a new start with Jesus. Thank you for your prayers and support, 
And until next time, may God bless and keep you and your family in His loving and protecting care. Keep the faith.